How many of you uh, like to do uh, home improvement projects, do-it-yourself sort of things? Quick show of hands. Quite a few of you. Did you know among our pastoral staff, there is quite a variety. Um, I think Pastor Tim would not be ashamed to say that he uh, struggles to turn a screwdriver. Um, at, at the other extreme is Pastor Jim, who isn't afraid to, to, to tackle anything. I'm not sure where Pastor Mike falls in that, somewhere in between maybe. Um, but uh, we are currently remodeling our basement and uh, not remodeling it, finishing it, uh, half of it anyway. And we've, we've been doing this since January. And uh, it's not going overly fast because we're doing part of it ourselves. And I am mediocrely handy, but I like to watch YouTube videos and learn things. So I've learned, I've picked up a few things along the way. It's been an, an interesting process. Uh, we put up the insulation ourselves. I know, not that big a deal. Um, put in some LVP flooring, glue down. I had never done that before. Figured it out. It actually looks great. It's pretty amazing. And just yesterday, I put in door handles for the first time. And they actually turned, and they, the doors actually open. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, that was probably my wife leading the applause there. Um, <laughs> anyway, so all of these things, though, I learned just by watching videos. I learned it from people who know these things, who have done these things, and they taught me how to do these things. And so in this series, it's incredibly practical as we learn how to do these things that help us grow in our Christian faith, things that will help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. And here, it's not so helpful to YouTube a how-to video, grow in faith, because they're all across the board. Some are useful, some not so useful. Uh, but in these five weeks, you are going to learn some uh, uh, tremendously useful tips for growing in your faith. So I, am, uh, I hope that for the message today, first of all, you are prepared, you prepped up for this a little bit. And I am so thankful to God that you showed up today to hear it. And now I'm going to ask you to listen up and maybe even take a few notes along the way. And then after today, I would love to have you follow up and do something with what you're about to hear today. And if that sounds vaguely familiar, I just stole Pastor Tim's sermon from last week. So if you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to that awesome message. So let me start by asking you a tough question. How many people in your life really know you? Think about that. How many people in your life know the real you? I bet you could think of tons of people who don't really know the real you. Is that true? I, it is for me. Around people that you don't know quite as well, don't you tend to turn up your filters? So that when you're around people that you don't know very well, uh, you will think twice about what's about to come out of your mouth and the way it's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to think twice about your behavior. When we're around people that we don't know very well, we really turn up our filters. And, and when we're around people that we don't know very well, people that don't know, don't know the real you, don't you also tend to put up a front? Put up this facade where your life is all together, where things are going pretty well. You put on this facade like, you, like everything is just great in your life. Because that's what you want them to think about you, that you're a person who is strong, who's capable, that's got everything together. So the front goes up. Now, can you think of a particular place where the filters and fronts are especially turned up to high? I, I would suggest probably the, 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 the place that happens the most is Facebook or social media, right? 
There you have hundreds and hundreds of friends, some of you, uh, friends who don't really know the real you. And so because they don't really know you, you want to put on a front that looks really good for them. And so what goes on Facebook are the, only the best pictures and only the best things that are happening in your life, only your greatest accomplishments, only the good things about what's happening in your family, and you don't talk about the fight you and your wife had the night before, and you delete eight of the pictures and only put the one where everybody was smiling and not the one where there was the frown from the teenager because they didn't want you to be even taking the picture, right? So we put on this front on Facebook because most of the people there are not people that really know the real you. But I would suggest to you that there is another place where we especially see filters and fronts. You're sitting in it. Isn't that true? It happened to me today even. I'm not accusing you because I do the same thing. But you come to church, you see somebody you haven't seen in a week. Oh, hey, how's it going? Beautiful day we're having, right? Oh, it's going great. Thanks. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great too. Yeah, oh, Packers playing tonight, huh? Yep, yep. Can't wait to watch that game. And, and we, we put on this, we put on the filters like everything is going great. And we put on the front like our life is awesome. When in fact we have struggles. When in fact things are difficult. And we fail to share those things even, or maybe even especially at church. In fact, I would suggest to you that that is why some people won't go to church. And maybe this is your story. Maybe you're coming for the first time today because this is true of you. Or maybe you're recently starting to come just to check things out. But the reason maybe you stayed away or the reason a lot of people do is because they think, I can't even turn my filters up that high yet. I don't, I don't have a front that's going to be impressive enough for all those church people. I need to make some changes in my life and bring it up to a level where at least I can fake it good enough that people think I belong there. Because I'm pretty sure right now I don't. I think this is just a tragedy that people think this way. Because the truth is, this is exactly the place we need to be be when our life is a wreck and when, when things are a struggle. This is exactly the place where we need to go to find help. There, there was an, an old church father who, who said it in, in a really great way. Um, church isn't a place that you go to see a museum of saints. Okay? Oh, look, look at this beautiful museum, a saint, a saint. All these saints gathered in one place. It's like a museum of saints. He said, no, that's not what, that's not what church is all, all about. Church is a hospital for sinners. If you are a sinner, you are in the right place. And sometimes the church gets heat for that. Like, yeah, I've I've been to your church. I saw who was there. I know what they've done. And they're at your church? Like, yeah, thank God they are. It's like walking into a hospital and saying, why is that sick person here? And look at that person who's got a broken arm. What are they doing here? Isn't this a hospital? Exactly. It's a place where people go to get better. And that's what church is ultimately all about. So I'm so glad you're here, whether this is your first time or whether you're a lifelong sinner. (laughs) and and recognize that this is where you find the mercy and the peace and the forgiveness of God. But what we want to find out today, what I pray that by the time you leave today, we're going to have a mind shift when it comes to what we call around here the group root. The group root is all about doing life together. It's all about community. How to community is what we're talking about today. But my prayer is that you will have a mind shift when it comes to church. And that instead of saying, I go to church, 
And, and, and isn't that what we sometimes say? I go to church. Did you go to church? Yeah, I went to church. Did you go to church this week? Yep, I went to church too. I can't wait for next week when you go to church. That church is a location you go to and you show up for a while and then you go home and then you, you did church and now church is done and then you go back to your regular life. Instead of having that mentality that I go to church, I hope that by the end of our time today that you will think this. We are the church. The church is people. We heard that earlier in the Romans 12 reading, right? The church is people doing life together. We are the church. And the fact is this. uh, God forbid this building burns down tonight. There is nothing that happened to our church. Not a thing. Because we are the church. It's the gathering of God's people centered on him, remembering his truth and his grace, doing life together, being authentic and real with each other as we walk together in this Christian faith. That is the church. We are the church. And I hope you go today with absolutely convinced of that fact. So what does that look like? We are the church. How do we, what does that look like in practice to live out being the church together? And to help us answer that question today, I want to share with you a few verses from James chapter 5. And we are going to pick it up at verse 13, where James says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Did you notice what it didn't say? Is anyone among you in trouble? Pretend you're not. Fake it. Is anyone among you happy? Ah, bottle it up. Nobody wants to see that. You just annoy people. No, take the filters down. Let people know. Pray. Celebrate. Rejoice. Be your real authentic self in front of others is what he's telling us. Then he says this. Is anyone among you sick? And literally the word here means weak. And in the context, probably talking about physical sickness, but maybe broader. He's talking about uh, whatever is bringing you down, whatever is your struggle, whatever in your life is making you feel weak right now. If any one of you is sick, what should you do? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If anyone is sick, post a smiley face on Facebook and let everybody think that everything's just fine. Be strong. Don't let anybody see your weakness. No, that's not what he says. If any one of you is sick, call the elders and have them come and visit you. Now, who are the elders? Uh, literally, the, the, the word here means um, those who are older. But in the context and the way the Bible uses this, this term, it means older in the faith, mature in the faith. Not necessarily an old person, but somebody whose faith is strong. Somebody who knows God well, knows his truth, knows his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Someone who is strong in their faith, have them come when you are feeling weak, when you are sick. Have them come and have them pray with you. And then he also says, and have them anoint you with oil, which kind of a strange thing there. What is God, exactly is he talking about there? Um, there are some churches that take this very literally, that they, they would consider this almost like a sacrament, a ceremony that you should do when you visit the sick, that you apply oil to the forehead, and, and that, that this with prayer will cause healing. It's possible, but I wonder if there's something a little bit different meant here. In those days, uh, olive oil was used for many different purposes, some of them for health reasons. 
If somebody got a burn, they would apply olive oil to it. If somebody had chicken pox, they would put olive oil on the scabs. Olive oil was considered medicinal. Olive oil was considered to be a healing agent. So I wonder if all James is saying here is, if somebody is sick, pray with them and help them with their physical need. Right? God made us body, soul, and spirit. We, we have emotions, we have intellect, we have a will. All of these things are interdependent. The way, when your physical body is suffering, does it affect you spiritually? Yeah, it does me. When I am spiritually down and vulnerable, do I sometimes feel sick physically? Yeah. And do all of those also affect your emotions? I'm sure they do, right? And your mental health? Yes, this is all interdependent. So he's saying, go Pray with them, support them, encourage them spiritually, also serve their physical needs while you're there. I wonder if we would say, bring them some chicken soup or go get their prescription at Walgreens and bring it to them or whatever they need for their health right now, provide it for them and pray with them. Do this all in the name of the Lord. All of this is an act of faith as we do life together when a person is struggling. And it says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This is kind of an interesting verse, right? We read it and we say, so is this saying that when a person prays in faith with another Christian and that person has a strong faith and they believe too that every time God 100% of the time will grant healing? I don't think that's what it means because there are other places in Scripture that would indicate that that's not how God promises to operate. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, you might. If your faith is too weak, you're going to have some trouble. No, he said, you're going to have trouble no matter what, but take heart because I have overcome the world, Jesus said. So in this world, we are going to be challenged. The Apostle Paul faced the same thing. Can you think of a, 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 if you think of a person with strong faith, would the Apostle Paul be near the top of your list? And yet he had this physical ailment. We don't know what it was. He called it his thorn in the flesh. I think it's intentionally vague so we can insert our own struggles in that blank. He had this thorn in the flesh that he prayed to God earnestly, Lord, please take this away. In, your, in Jesus' name, I ask you to remove this from me. Lord, please. He prayed in earnest. And he did it a second time. And then on a third occasion, he did it just as earnestly and intensely. And in the end, the Lord said, no. Paul, my my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, I know you don't understand it and you don't see it, but let, let me just assure you that by not taking this away, my name will be glorified and you will see me face to face one day. So does God always heal when we pray earnestly? Not always, because this world is fundamentally broken and there is a perfect world that is to come. So in 2 Timothy 4.18, I think, I think this is where we kind of get a hint as to what's going on here. It says this, the Lord will rescue me. He will. From what? From every evil attack. How many evil attacks will he rescue you from? Every. Not always from physical healing, but from every evil attack? Yes, you will be, you will be saved. And he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That is God's promise to you. He will bring you safely to heaven. So the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well um, and and the Lord will raise them up. I wonder if that's just talking about them spiritually, their, their spirits. And can I just tell you as a pastor, I have seen this countless times. Visiting people who are sick, people who are struggling, people who are depressed, 
In fact, it happened very recently. I went to somebody in their home. Um, I'll keep this uh, generic so that I, I don't uh, betray any confidences. But this person um, has a physical ailment. They are struggling immensely with it. When I entered the house, this person's face, it wasn't just pain. It was anguish. It was fear. It was depression. All of it visible on this downcast face. And we talked. And we remembered the promises of God. And we remembered the forgiveness of Jesus. And we remembered that God's favor rested upon this person. And that God didn't just tolerate this person, but adored this person. And that that this person was his dear child. And we prayed together. And when I left, this person's face looked completely different. The sick person was well. Well, the physical part was still there. But the spirits were sure lifted. The Lord raised this person up, just like he promised. It happened. So I think this is what James is talking about here. So how does he conclude this? Oh, wait, what about that, that phrase, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven? Did you know that there's kind of a close connection between physical suffering and sin? Well, sometimes there's a direct connection. If there's somebody that's suffering in jail, it's probably because of a sin they committed, right? So sometimes there's a direct correlation be- between sin and its consequences, but oftentimes there isn't. That, that you're, you're not sick, you don't have this disease, you're not struggling financially. Um, sometimes it's just because of circumstances, and it's because we live in a broken world, But what tends to happen when you are suffering or struggling or sick is that your sins, your life starts to replay in your mind. Has this ever happened to you? And you start to remember all the wrong things you've done, the regrets of your life, the mistakes you made, your faults, your failures. Satan just brings them all back to you when you're already pressed down. He loves to kick you when you're down. And it's at that time you especially need to hear, no, your sins are forgiven. The Father's love for you is no less now than it was before He loves you more than you can imagine. So that's why we forgive sins even if we visit somebody who is sick. Didn't Jesus do that, by the way? Remember when when a paralyzed man was dropped through a roof in a crowded room right in front of Jesus? And Jesus, to this man who could not walk, he he was crippled. His legs didn't work at all. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, son. And everybody in the crowd is probably thinking, that's not what he needs. He needs to walk. And people started to think, who is this who says sins, your sins are forgiven? He doesn't have the right to do that. Yeah, let me show you, Jesus said. Take, take up your mat and walk. And the man gets up. His legs are whole and he walks away. But what did Jesus address first? There's, there's sickness and there's, there's, there's this guilt. And which, does he, which is more important? Which does he address first? The sin, the guilt, and he forgives the man's sins. Right? So now going on to verse 16, it says, Therefore, he says, Thinking of all of this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that word literally means to be renewed. Confess and pray that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Which, that in and of itself, have you ever thought about that? that isn't that just almost... Uh, Too good to be true. It's amazing that God listens to the prayers of those who have faith in Jesus and are therefore righteous in his sight because of the shed blood of Jesus. And you talk to God, the almighty creator of the universe, and he says, I'm going to listen. I'm going to act. That's an amazing promise of God. 
And it makes, makes, makes us wonder, right? Why don't we pray more? Because God makes us this promise. So he says, confess your sins to each other. So true or false, all Christians should confess sin. True, right? Everybody would say true to that without even thinking, right? And if we hadn't read this verse first, and I said, true or false, all Christians should confess sin, true. To whom should Christians confess sin? I bet everybody would have said, God, right? Confess your sins to God, of course. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, and I, I do. Uh, and, and of course we confess our sins to God, but what did James just say to us? Confess your sins to each other. To which you say, yikes, that's, that's vulnerable. That's a little bit scary. Not, not sure I want to do that. Why would James say confess your sins to each other when it's ultimately against God that we have, we've sinned against him ultimately? Why confess our sins to each other? And I think there's two main reasons. The first reason we need to confess our sins to each other is that we tend to minimize our own sin. We all have this inner lawyer that, that comes to our defense and justifies and excuses all the bad things that we've done, and so we tend to minimize it all. No, uh, nope, no sin here. But if we confess our sin to another person, yeah, come on, there's more to it. Keep talking. And yeah, well, what about this? They help us to see our blind spots. They help us to truly confess. They help us to be accountable because now it's out on the outside. Somebody, another human being knows these are all good reasons to confess to another human being. And there's a second really important reason you should confess to another human being. And the reason is that person can assure you that Jesus forgives you. Say, oh yeah, I already know that part, Pastor. Well, then you're different than me. I mean, I know that, yes. But you know what? I can preach the gospel to you pretty well. And if I ever visit you when you're sick, I am going to preach the good news of Jesus to you and encourage you with it. But do you know who I'm really bad at preaching that news to? Me. So here's what tends to happen when I just confess my sins to God, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, you still should. But when I confess my sins to God, Lord, I really, I really blew it when I did this, and I'm so sorry about that, and, and my tone when I did this was wrong, and, and my attitude, and, Lord, forgive all of this. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And in response, I hear nothing. Maybe you're different, but I have not heard an audible voice when I have confessed my sins to God. It's not that God was silent, it's just I can't recall to myself the good news of Jesus very well. I'm terrible at that. I need you to tell me. I need somebody outside of me to remind me. Yeah, Michael, you blew it. Yep, that was wrong. You did that? <laughs> that was offensive to God for sure. And you, you, by the way, you hurt this person as well. You should probably apologize to them as well. But now listen to me, Michael. Your sin, what you just talked about, was taken to the cross. And Jesus, God's perfect son, took responsibility for it. He bled and he died taking God's anger so you won't, you're forgiven. God loves you. You've got an eternal future with him in heaven. Oh, that is sweet relief to hear. Because I don't preach that to myself very well. And I bet you don't preach it to yourself very well either. But there are people in your life, fellow Christians, elders, mature in the faith people, that when you confess your sin, they can assure you of your, of your forgiveness because of Jesus. So, what is James teaching us here? What is the key to true community? 
How can we truly be the church together? How can we do life together? What is the, what is the breakthrough that we need to truly be one and be a body and to interact with one another in the way God wants? I think it's just this simple. The key to community is two things, and James told us, confess and pray. Confess and pray. Well, that's simple, Pastor. Okay, now, now be honest. How many Christians do you feel comfortable or do you regularly confess your sins to? With how many Christians do you regularly join in prayer? If you are like most, not many. If you are like many, none. Right? You might not have somebody in your life that you do that with. But James could not be more clear. We need each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray with each other. Because, here's what I want you to remember today. Here's our big takeaway. Friends and forgiveness beat filters and fronts. Friends and forgiveness beat filters and fronts. Friends, put a capital F on that. Because I'm talking about good Christian friends. Why do they have to be Christian? Because only a Christian knows the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Only a Christian is informed by the truth of God as revealed in his word. True Christian friends, authentic Christian friends, friends you can confess to, friends you can pray to, true friends are so much better than filters, so much better than fronts. And forgiveness, a friend that will announce when you confess your sins, you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus is so refreshing. It renews you. It raises you up. It's so much better than the filters and the fronts. This is the kind of community your Lord wants you to enjoy. This is the kind of community that will turbocharge your faith. To which some of you are thinking, that's all fine and dandy, but uh, I don't have those kinds of friends and I don't know how to find those kinds of friends. Well, good news. Today is the last day where you can sign up for life groups. See, we recognized here at 922 Ministries that people finding those kinds of friends that are that vulnerable, that transparent, that honest with each other is an extraordinarily hard thing to do. So we put our heads together and thought, how can we create a space where that can happen? Because I'll be perfectly honest, it doesn't happen here and it, it really can't, right? You're not going to lean over to the person in the seat next to you probably, especially if they're a stranger, and say, you're not gonna believe the fight my wife and I had this week. And I was such a jerk. And they're probably not going to whisper back, the blood of Jesus covers it. You're forgiven, my friend. It's probably not going to happen, right? This just isn't the environment for it. And in a crowd out there afterwards, usually those kinds of interactions just are hard to do. But in a life group, this is what can happen. So life groups are our home. Usually most of them are home-based. A group of usually up to 12 people. It's a smaller, it's a more intimate, intimate environment. You are getting to know each other. You're developing friendships. There's a facilitator who is an elder. And by that, I just mean a mature Christian. Some of them are pretty young. Uh, somebody that will help create an atmosphere where we have trust, where we can confess, where we can pray. And over time, you will build this community and you will grow in your faith. 
And the time to sign up is now, because after today, we have to close them down. Um, the way you do that is you use our 922 Church app. Um, that's the easiest way. You can also do it through our website as well. And if you're not sure how to do any of that or where to find the church app, we have some people at the table back there. Uh, maybe you saw the balloons when you came in today. Uh, somebody back there will be able to help you and give you a little bit more information, and we can get you signed up for a life group today because we really want to get you connected in that way. Now, when I talk about the life groups and I suggest that people join them, there's some, there's some pushback. I usually get some challenges. Like a, a lot of people will say, I don't have the time for that. Do you know my schedule? I'm so busy. I, I can't. And my simple response is, we make time for what we value. And if, if you don't have time, I'm going to suggest that maybe you're undervaluing what can happen for you in a life group. Um, other, another common objection I hear is, yeah, I'm not a super social person, or I'm an introvert, so yeah, it's, not, it's too uncomfortable for me. I can't do something like that. Sorry, I'm an introvert too, so... Um, yeah, yes, and some people, you laugh because you say, yeah, you're up on stage, you're not an introvert. Nope, ask anybody that knows me. I am a full-blown, unquestionable introvert. Um, so uh, so here's, here's the truth. Let me be honest with you. If you're an introvert and you join a life group, session one is going to be awkward, and you're going to be a little nervous about it. It will be. You're getting to know some people. You don't, you don't know them very well yet. You're going to talk to them. You're going to have some icebreakers. You're going to leave feeling a bit better. Session two, next week, you're going to meet them again it's going to be a lot less awkward. Session three, you're going to actually meet them and it's not going to be awkward. And you're going to start hearing some stories shared as well. And, and session four, you're going to be eagerly anticipating. Okay, check me on this. If you're an introvert and you haven't done life groups before, do it and then let me know if I'm right or wrong. Feel free to push back, but I think I'm right. Okay. Um, then there's, there's one more that I, I want to share with you too. And that is... Um, this, this is usually from the guys. I, I don't like to share my feelings. I, I, that's just weird. You know, I'm not a feelings kind of guy. I'm not all touchy-feely. I don't want to share my feelings. Okay, so let me address that one. You don't have to. Okay, now will you join a life group? <laughs> okay, so you don't have to share your feelings, but let me, let me tell you what you do have to do. You have to tell your story. Okay? Tell your story. Tell your highs. Tell your lows. Tell your, your background. Tell about you so that you can be authentic and real because other people are going to be doing that too. And if you want to leave feelings out of it, that's perfectly fine. But tell the real stories about you. And sometimes feelings come out too, but they don't have to. Okay, so join a life group. Uh, you're, you're going to be blessed if you do. I, I know you will. God promises you many blessings. Like what? you're going to be assured of your forgiveness like you've never been sure before because some human being is going to remind you of it and it's going to be so beautiful, so sweet to hear that good news of Jesus that it's for you personally, you're going to be sure of your forgiveness. You're going to have support for some of the biggest struggles in life that you have never had before. Your mental health will improve. That is a huge issue these days. If your mental health is struggling right now, a life group, it's not... Designed for mental health, but as you connect with other Christians and you hear God's grace and truth, your mental health will improve. And you're going to have some built-in accountability, which we all need. Now, some people are a little bit afraid of that A word, um, but, but accountability is good for us. As you talk about things going on in your life and then they check in with you later about it, it builds in this accountability that we all need because we are supposed to do life with one another. Oh, and there's one more blessing. 
the reasons I just gave you, they're all good, they're all blessings, of course, but they're a little bit selfish because I'm telling you what you're gonna get out of it. The last blessing is the blessing you will be for somebody else. So some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I've already got my inner circle of Christian friends that are kind of like that already, so I'm good. Maybe you're good, but they're not. That is other people sitting in this room right now with you or or joining us online. Um, They need you and you're not there yet. So for their sake, would you consider joining a life group? So here is, here is my homework assignment for you. Here is your big takeaway. Here's your, as Pastor Tim taught us, here's your follow-up for this message. Do one of two things. The one I already said, join a life group. I'll be perfectly honest. There might not be a, a, an evening or, or a time that works with your work schedule or whatever. You might not be able to join one, but I hope you'll try. Um, and, and if you're not in a life group, here's the second thing. And this one's a little harder than the first one. The first one is built to make these kinds of relationships. But the second thing you could do if you're not in a life group is to develop yourself those kinds of relationships. So your homework would look like this. I'm going to invite a Christian friend, and we've never really talked much more than the Packers and, and the weather, but I'm going to take them out for coffee. And I'm going to ask them, or maybe my, the small group of friends, maybe three or four or five people come into your mind. You essentially are self-forming a life group, but you don't have to call it that. You're getting together for coffee and you're saying, look, I heard this, this amazing sermon on Sunday and uh, the pastor challenged me to try to build community with somebody else. And I'm wondering if, you, if we might do that. I know we've never done this before. It's going to be a little bit awkward at first, but let's get together weekly. Let's talk. Let's talk real life. Um, we've got some things that we can share with each other. We can confess sins. We can pray together. And I think it's, I think it's going to be okay after two or three weeks, but would you give it a shot with me? One of those two things would you try doing this coming week? And I know God will bless you. So I tried to think of a, an example that I could share of somebody who was blessed through life groups blessed with doing life together with other Christians. And I couldn't think of one example. I I thought of about 50. And I didn't think you'd want to stay another four hours. But here's the pattern that that I saw. And it's a pattern Pastor Mike will share with you as well. And it's a pattern I've seen in my own life. Uh, And it's this, that when you have your group, when you are doing life together where there is confession and prayer with other Christians, what you're going to find is that if there is a wedding the life group is there and one or two of them might be standing up in it. And that when there is, when, when you have a baby, your life group is bringing you some meals. And that if there is a death in the family, your life group is there and you've got a shoulder to cry on and they're going to show up for the funeral for sure. And that when you get a promotion at work, they are celebrating with you and having you buy a dinner out for everybody. <laughs> That whatever you're dealing with in life, if you're moving, they are there to help pack the boxes and they're going to help you move. They are there with you through thick and through thin, doing life together in authentic Christian community. And that is how to community. As you do that, your faith will be turbocharged. You will grow in your faith. God promises. So let's do life together. It's better. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
in your wisdom, you decided that we wouldn't be islands unto ourselves, that we would not be isolated, that we would not be alone, that we would not just have a personal relationship with you, but that you would put us in community with other Christians, that you would make us part of a body, that we would not be complete by ourselves, but that the gifts and strengths of others would complete us and strengthen us, and that together we would be healthy and functioning and happy as your children. Uh, Lord, thank you for that. You're so wise, you're so good. So help us to overcome the resistance in our own hearts and lives. Help us to become vulnerable and honest with one another. Help us to find Christian friends that we can confess and pray to, friends that will forgive our sins because, Lord, you have taught us and we know it is true that friends and forgiveness are always better than filters and fronts. Be with us and bless us as we do life together as your children and in your family. In Jesus' name, amen.